0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 32 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by index fund advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have Dr. Sue Kane to talk about a new book called Horse Sense for Leaders. And we have Chris Morris. He's a trainer of remedial horses, and he lives in the southeast of England. This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. The Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month, and I have my producer Jen with me today. Hi, Jen. How
2: are you? Happy New Year. Hello, and Happy New Year to you, too. Do you, are you a resolutions person for New Year? You know, some years I get on the bandwagon,
1: some years I don't. I, you know, I, I actually, I'm old enough now that I start to call it Resolve. I resolve to. Oh, that's Instead interesting. Of, yeah, because it sounds so boring to do another year of resolutions. You're going to give up on, you know? You well, yeah, when you when you say resolutions, you have an automatic out because yeah, it's a resolution it's and nobody does them. Everybody gives those
2: up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like resolve the resolve to. Two. Yeah. Yeah. I, what
1: about you? Are you a
2: resolution person? Um. I'm a resolution person. I'm not one of those to announce or proclaim my resolutions. No, because then you'd be held to it. Yeah. Correct. (laughs) But but to use your terminology, I really like it. I resolved to uh, try to develop a more um, copacetic relationship with Glenn's little pony PT Scooter.
1: Oh, that's a nice resolution. I'm glad you resolved to do that. Yes, he's a very tough little customer. A good he's a
2: very tough little customer, and mm-hmm. it's a challenge for me to um, earn his respect because he's one of those little ponies that he's ready to put his dukes up at every moment. Is he? Oh, yes. He's, he's he smart. Loves he a tests good, you. He, yeah, he he he's the uh, he loves a good fight. Sort of is what I call him. He mm-hmm. he's into pressure. Anytime anything touches him, he's like, oh, I'm ready for you. He's one of those little guys. Is but, he that way with Glenn or is it different? Oh, he's very much like that with Glenn. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I feel better. <laughs> but um, it's a challenge because I'm trying to come at it from a different point of view than I used to. And that it used to be you put a chain over their nose, you yank it a couple times and, you know, escalate and yeah. life goes on. And, and I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I want to get this worked out so that he understands that it's a good and wonderful thing to let me be the leader.
1: You know what? You're gonna love Chris Morris today because, it, that, and this is his world, really. I mean he he loves to train horses and he and he loves horses, but I think he really is born to figure out horses. He really noodles and noodles and noodles. And I, I saw him on a video lesson recently too, and he just looks at that horse, and you know he just got a lot of that. What you're coming to right now is like okay me step three steps back here and figure out what it is that I'm going to have to do with this horse to get him to want to do what I ask him to do. Is Mm -hmm. that what you're kind of struggling with?
2: Yeah. Yes. Exactly. What I can do because we have little glimmers here and there of <laughs> Yay, he's on my team. Mm-hmm. And then we have setbacks. It's not like I work hard at it. You know, we go out and we feed him every day and we take him for a drive once in a while. It's a very casual relationship. That's um, trust, though. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very excited to hear what Chris has to say, and I'm very excited that there's going to be lovely, sweet, chocolate filled nuggets that I can take back I out to the barn so. with me, nice and warm in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very looking for very much looking forward to that. Yeah, good,
1: good, and and I also want to introduce a, a new member of the horsemanship family team too. We have a, a a new sponsor, and we we just love him. We love his company, and love his product. But we came to him first because we loved his product, and I think people are going to love Sean too. I'm going to have him on occasionally. He's a really interesting guy, and loves the inside of the horse as much as the outside.
2: <laughs> there we go. Well, you know, you got to love the insides because that's, right. that's where the works are.
1: That's right. That's right. All right. Well, up next, we have word from our title sponsor, IFA.com.
3: Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an in index fund advisors, or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Mm-hmm.
1: Dr. Sue Kane is a business consultant and coach. She's a mother and a lifelong equestrian, and she's a partner of the Corporate Learning Institute in Chicago, Illinois. She teaches at several Chicago-area business schools, and she coaches, she designs trainings, facilitates them, and assesses the needs of her clients so that she can plan the best way forward for them. She's amazing at it. She's uh, been a coach to numerous Fortune 500 companies, and we're really lucky to have her. Welcome, Dr. Sue Kane. Can I call you Sue? You may. Thank you for asking. I'm so glad to have you on here. It's a great excuse to have you on here. You're a lot of fun. We've we've <laughs> talked on the Horse Radio Network before, but I don't think I've had you on Horsemanship Radio before, have I? I don't think this is a first. Oh, people are going to love you, Dr. Sue Kane. Is so much fun because she's a horsewoman. So even That's though right. she's got doctor in front of her name and she's not a vet, <laughs> she nope. she belongs here for sure. She she has horses too and has been a lifelong horsewoman and uh, tell us what you've got in the barn right now Sue.
4: Gosh, okay, I have Joey who is a eleven year old quarter horse appendix probably thoroughbred and he was given to us and he turned out to be a fabulous horse for my thirteen year old daughter. He's a pleasure horse. We ride him English and Western and he's a lovey and a very uh fabulous individual and then we just bought a another horse he's a Tennessee walker that wasn't um wasn't being utilized enough and uh was bored and he just came off a colic incident he's lovely he's 10 He's gated, so I don't know. He's, as you, you know, teaching me what his gates mean. I don't know what they mean, but uh, he's a lovely guy too. So that's what we have.
1: Yeah, he's got a Tennessee accent. Is that it? He's teaching. You yeah, all
4: he he, he he drinks some whiskey uh, occasionally. <laughs> that's his name. In fact, is whiskey at midnight. That's so right.
1: that's right. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And uh, you are very busy. I know, as a coach and doing. I I don't know what you do between 2 and 4 a.m. You just waste your time about then. But um, you have managed to help us put a book together, and that's why I wanted to have you here today because so many of our our listeners are interested in how horses are um, affecting our lives in positive ways and that we're excited about the direction that they're going. And um, I want you to tell us a little bit about that excitement that you put in this book, and it's called Horse Sense for Leaders, right?
4: It is. It's called Horse Sense for Leaders, Building Trust-Based Relationships. Mm-hmm. And what I think is that your horse, time with your horse, gives you the energy sometimes to pull through in other parts of your life, and you can make parallels Frequently, between things you're learning from one world that transfers to the other. And in this case, the book we've written, and by the way, for your audience's um, edification, you, my friend, are my co author. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's written by part. Susan Kane and Debbie Roberts Lowks, and the book um, kind of moves through the, the process of introducing four trust based concepts that we think Monty Roberts. Shows up with as a world leader and then traces backwards how he builds trust in the round pen yeah. and how that transpires in terms of the horse's personal development and how that conversation can be used in a human to human concept. And it's a little, so it's a little edgy. Book's
1: a little edgy. Edgy, yeah. huh? Yeah. Well, that, you said it well. You said it well. So to make it uh-huh. easy for everybody, sure. first, how did you learn that horses have a communication system that we can tap into?
4: Oh, I've watched so many join-ups. When I first came across Monty's work and stood at the round pen, I would watch and watch and watch. And... And what I was fascinated by is they, in fact, have a gesture-based language that Monty calls Equus. And the gesture-based language is is broken down in the round pen by by, by discernible steps. I mean, you can watch Monty enter the round pen and then turn a horse loose and then, um, using his gesture, send the horse away for contemplation. And then as the horse thinks, oh, gosh, this is a lot of work, bring the horse in to think about maybe he'd like to join up or she to join up. And then once that moment occurs, welcome that horse into that bond and then move forward with with some things that, that the horse really wasn't ready for prior to join up. Now,
1: that's a conversation. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what he calls it, a conversation. But what's the most important thing? Is he the only one who can do this? You can do this too, right? Sue, you've done this.
4: Oh, you would laugh. Everybody would laugh. No. Yes. With my new horse, Whiskey at Midnight, who you all know now a little bit about, uh, I had a join-up opportunity in the indoor arena this last week in 20 degree below weather. And Diber. I have to say, could have gone better. Yeah. Could have gone better.
1: No, no video. Gone Nobody better. had their phones on them or anything? No.
4: Darn. <laughs> no, better that a round pen would be used. But yes, absolutely. it is. It is um, Join-up is something that we should all not only know how to do, we should practice it until we get it right. Wow. I don't think you ever useful. get it completely
1: right. I, You know, it is For a conversation. Sure. Like, do we get conversations right? No, it's nah. different every time. So don't, yeah. you know, nobody should beat themselves up about it. But what I love is that you have nailed what the conversation really, how it evolves so that there is a beginning and an end, and that builds that trust. And that's what we wanted to start out to impart in this, in this book too, which you've done so well. We wanted to connect the dots between mm-hmm. uh, uh, dad's, mm-hmm. Monty's trust-based work, so that we understand his impact on horses and clients and colleagues, and we wanted to identify the common themes. Hopefully, like a, a working model that Monty uses across disciplines and, and, and people to develop and restore trust. That's that's really what he works to do every day when he gets up in the morning. And you know, I, I think there were a lot of models in the book that uh, that demonstrated that, that showed that, but I think the veterans, um, uh, with PTSD probably was the best story that, uh, embodied that. What do you do think?
4: Oh yeah. We, for the book, we interviewed, so the book has about what, nine or 10 chapters, right? And for the book, we interviewed a cadre of people from the business world, uh, uh, one returning veteran, um, Let's see, um, uh, many students of Mani's, admirers of Mani's, to find out what did they think, uh, that, that they're, what are their personal takeaways from the join-up conversation that, that, could, that could transfer to their own individual worlds, absolutely, and, and everybody has a different emphasis on what they're looking at in that join-up conversation, interestingly enough, but yeah, it, it is such, the, the core theme of the book is how to build trust, trust-based relationships, how did Monty do it how does he do it with people and it's yeah. remarkable to watch as he goes around the world right yeah. and he builds trust bridges with uh, with countries like Brazil um, yeah even politically um, yeah
1: I mean a lot of people right. yeah a lot of people say well I don't get it I don't, I don't get this conversation with horses and how that bridges to people and everybody and and the I think the best line dad says is something like um, you know it, I don't deal with horses Horses that have problems. I deal with horses that have people problems. (laughs) So, you know, it's not the horses really that have these remedial issues. At first, they're not born with them, you know, so then we're doing something to taint those conversations. And I think that's probably the cleanest thing that he provides is he, he provides a, an environment or he describes an environment that you can get around. And, and the same thing works for people. So, you know, we're all all of the same DNA in a lot of ways. So I, I like – describe for me this mm-hmm. um, graphic, this, this um, circle that you have in the book. Mm-hmm. and it it and this is f- purely from you it's amazing it It's like a pie, and it's cut in four parts, like <laughs> a pie with four mm-hmm. parts and And I think horse when I read the four parts, and you think people when you th- read the four four parts, but since this is horsemen mostly listening to this, I want people to think about those four parts, and then you describe to me what you think it carries over to the people, so the first piece of the pie. Number one is be authentic. Number, so we did. You want to address that? Yeah. Oh, sure. We did a lot of interviews.
4: Um, I'm going to say um, not a massive amount. We probably interviewed 25, 30 people, and developed an interview feedback brief. And from that interview, we we began to dissect what people commonly thought were character traits of Monty as a leader. And what we came up with were four basic character traits that he embodies. And those four traits are be authentic. Mm-hmm. Number one, be authentic. Number two, set clear expectations and consequences. Mm-hmm. Number three, promote mutual trust. And number four is expect the best. Yes. So Monty is all about going around in his own teachings and continuously, if not daily, um, recites the following uh, incantation. It is, I don't want you to be as good as me. I want you to be better than me. And one of the interesting things that strikes me about his effective leadership is that leaders think they're, they're actually working with followers, but a really effective leaders know that they're developing other leaders. Mm-hmm. That's the role of a leader is to walk away, teach, delegate, coach, participate, direct, be effective in the area of bringing others forward. And so they can accomplish their own goals and then get out of their way. So be authentic, set clear expectations, promote mutual trust and expect the best. Those are the four character traits we saw commonly throughout those interviews Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the leaders. Yeah. That, that have used the same concepts and, the course person is thinking about that be authentic set clear expectations promote mutual trust and expect the best isn't that what we what we go in and seek from our horses as well or ourselves as partners with our horses so again i love the perfect metaphor that you're using to teach people in you know, in a unique way. In the corporate setting, they may not have been around horses at all. But I think everybody understands this. They understand the flight animal a little bit. They, you know, they may have heard horse whisper as a weird sort of expression about this whole thing. But that's all it really is, isn't it? Mm -hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. It is. It is. We're in in an interesting time in the work world where leaders are being tasked with turning over multi-generations of workers. We've got the traditionalist people in their 60s, 70s, 80s retiring, but still here if they're content experts. We've got the baby boomers in their late 40s, 50s, and early 60s still working because many of us can't afford to to leave and and, or we love what we do. Mm -hmm. Or we're on our second career. Then we've got the Generation X in their 30s, 40s, and our Generation Y, which are brand new workers coming in for the first time. And as we leave, as, as the baby boomers and traditionalists leave the workplace, they're going to have to develop real strong leadership skills in those other generations. You're just going to have to turn this over. Mm-hmm. And what we think is that it's going to take a combination of, of things. And so the model that, that Monty embodies isn't a perfect model. Every model is limited. But I think it's a useful way of seeing somebody who's still working age 78, Debbie? 79? No, 78, 78 and a half?
1: Yeah, yeah, 79. 79. No, he's, like, he's like 77.5. He's rounding up now. He's, he's saying, I'm in my 80th year. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's proud of
4: it. here, so
1: he's he's still working
4: forward on his objectives. Yes. He still loves what he does, and yes. so many people. Paul McCartney, I can cite so many others that are still working and still vital, and and still doing what they do best. right? And yet we have to step away and we really have to think about how do those leaders show up that's so viable and so useful for the other generations. Mm-hmm.
1: And you can teach that. Uh, I, I love your coaching mm-hmm. to get people to those spots, but trust creates some vulnerability. I, I know. And, and that's a difficult thing to transition to, to say, mm-hmm. wait a minute, you know, I've not had a pattern of trust in my leadership qualities. So it's it, is, I know it's a good thing with horses. Is it a good thing with people too?
4: Oh, yeah. You know, you can't have uh, trust, which is letting go of control. If you want to quantify trust, what is it? It's letting go of control and my willingness and ability to let go of control. And if I'm going to let go of control, then I want to let it go to somebody that I know is going to be there for me won't hurt me. Okay. So a good working definition of trust is that I'm going to turn over control. And in a round pen, it's fascinating to me to watch the join-up conversation because there is a turning over of control. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the steps are fascinating. You can see them. I mean, a leader comes into a round pen, releases a horse, and uh, suggests that the horse go away and consider, if you will, his or her options. And then once that happens, the horse is working very hard and notices that there's been no change by that leader in the middle of that. That pen, that round pen, my gosh, they're still standing there. I'm still working this hard. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Leaders removing their eyes on ice from that horse and, and trailing the horse towards the middle and back section. Horse slows down, starts thinking, well, there's been no change. Why am I working this hard? Mm-hmm. Continues that process and pretty soon the horse decides that maybe I'm willing to let go of this. Maybe I don't have to work this hard. Maybe it isn't about hard work. And so that letting go of control, that moment of join up for me is that mutuality of two individuals saying, let's not hurt each other. Let's move forward with some goals together. They're mutual, aren't they? Let's get going.
1: That's right. And And I love uh, the horse stories are incredible. I I love Mm -hmm. what's been gleaned for people like Joe Camp's story. I mean, just to to back up what you just said, it was so Mm -hmm. cute to hear him say things like, you know, that that join-up works, trust works because it's free will. That horse chose to be with you at the time that he chose, not vice versa. It's his choice whether he wanted to say, I trust you as my leader or not. So those were really important points, that, too, that were um, brought up through wonderful stories of Joe Camp. And, gosh, you, you have several in there. What, what are some of your favorites? Oh, we've got, got the greatest horse? interviews. I can't – I mean – uh, let's see who paid me more
4: to interview. No, I'm kidding. Right. Nobody paid me to interview them. Um, <laughs> no. They are all so incredibly great. We've got Joe Camp, who who wouldn't love Benji, Benji's author and and filmographer and, 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 uh, and author uh, Joe Camp. My gosh, uh, who you know his his whole concept is relationship has to come before expectations, and, and who, who can who can argue that? Um, we've got interviews from Dr. Uh, William Miller. Um, brilliant, brilliant therapist from University of New Mexico, and and whose whose core essential uh, practice is around motivational interviewing and how do you get an individual in an interview to a situation where they feel like moving forward and they own those steps and it wasn't anything you did you you created the environment wow I mean wow we've got interviews from world leaders that amaze me once, once we, once we finish those interviews, it's, it's still to me are very fascinating. We've got a never before published story about Monty Roberts in Brazil, yeah. helping to turn a country from violence with horses uh, towards a nonviolent joint approach. And it backfired on him. It backfired on him. And what did he choose to do about that? And that story hasn't up. really he been published, up, right.
1: you know? Yeah. No, it's, no, in it's the never book. been published. Yeah. And, and he didn't in the book. Up. He didn't get right there right now as actually as we're recording this he is in brazil again and and that story is still unfolding it's it's going to be an amazing story even more but uh well there i know i don't want to we'll have to write another book then yeah we (laughs)
5: probably have more stories soon
1: (laughs) no (laughs) not this week you poor thing i know it's been a lot of work Mm -hmm. so uh when's the book going to be available well the book it will be
4: available on amazon in the end of january it's beautifully illustrated i also want to offer It's gorgeous. I mean, we have, um, again, never before printed uh, photographs from two different sources, some photographers, one from Brazil, by the way, thank you very much, and the other one uh, here from, I believe, in South Dakota, and they'll be noted in the book, in case you want to use their work, but they're plated, beautiful photographs. Um, There are takeaways. There are tools embedded in this book, um, how to hold your own joint conversation at work or with others to accelerate trust. So it's taking that joint conversation from a horse to a human to human level. Uh, it's really a good book. and you know, I'm proud of the book. I think we've worked long and hard on it and we're sick of it. We don't ever want to see no. We we think it's going to be uh, it's that way, very yeah. well received. We've had really wonderful reviews. And I don't think not from our mothers, but I mean from real yeah. people.
1: <laughs> <I would> say <laughs> I It's a good book. Mothers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and actually people can go on the MontyRoberts.com website and read uh, an excerpt or two too, which will be kind of a fun little teaser for them. So MontyRoberts.com. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Sue, so you're awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today and and doing a purge here on everything that um, is Horse Sense for Leaders. And we'd love to have you back and do a little follow-up of how the book is going and how your whiskey's going and kids. And will you come back? I'd love to come back. Thanks for having me, Debbie. Thank you, Sue. Sue Kane, Dr. Sue Kane from Corporate Learning Institute. Well, we have a special treat today. We have uh, Sean Moriarty from Omega Fields, and we have Pat Roberts from Flag is Up Farms, and Monty and Pat Roberts uh, from uh, Solvang, California. We have them both on the phone today because we wanted to bring a great tip to everybody about uh, Sean's. Omega Fields product and uh, first I'd like to introduce my mom Pat Roberts. Hi mom. Hi there. Good to be with you all of you. Thank you for agreeing to come on and Sean can you say hi for us? I'd like to introduce you two because you've never really met by phone before.
6: Sure. Hi everyone. Uh, Hi Pat. Really nice to talk to you as well. We're really excited. to
1: talk to you. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks, Mom. Um, We're really excited because Sean's Omega Fields Company has done something amazing for one of our test horses. His name is Cadillac. And we felt so strongly about it that um, we definitely wanted to bring him on as a sponsor of Horsemanship Radio. And we wanted you to know that it came in that um, order first is that we were so impressed with this product and with this horse's results that we wanted to have him a part of our, um, our monthly shows. So, um, mom, I'd love for you to, um, remind us of that, that story of how we, we met Sean, uh, by his product first and, and what that did for Cadillac and how he appeared when he first showed up.
4: Well, this is a real easy one for me. I, I am so convinced that this is a great product. Uh, we uh, we have a horse by the name of Cadillac. He's a lovely horse, and he was purchased uh, for a um, gentleman to ride, uh, to go out on trail rides with his family. And, of course, you know how it is with uh, uh, teenagers. Uh, the teenagers suddenly dis- discovered that they wanted to do other things rather than ride horses with Dad. So Dad said, oh, what am I going to do? And so he contacted me and said, "You know, I, I just love this horse, and I just can't see him just going out in the field and me looking at his pretty body every day. So you know, somebody needs to own this horse and that will appreciate him." So he sent him back to me. I accepted him. And when he arrived, I was pretty set back because the horse had lost a lot of weight. he had no condition whatsoever his his coat was dull his eyes were dull and he just seemed like a depressed horse and this was uh like mid-fall and so just about that time the opportunities came up came up to us to try uh the omega products and so i discussed this with debbie and i said debbie i've got the perfect candidate and his name is Cadillac. And uh, she said, "Well, great. Uh, let's do it. Let's take pictures and weight, mm-hmm. etc., and uh, chronicle this so we we do have a good uh, comparison from beginning to the present time." So we did, and we took his weight and um, and you know just uh, pictures of his overall condition, right. and put him on our product and uh, started feeding him. And uh, uh, this horse just. Almost immediately, it perked up, Mm -hmm. and his coat started within, like, say, three weeks to get more of a sheen to it, and even his eyes were brighter. Mm -hmm. And within two months, we had put over 111 pounds on this horse, and he was actually a different horse. And so I just said, Oh my gosh, you know, this is awesome, and I'm totally convinced. And so I, I, I'm here to say that this product really works, and yeah. for people that have horses that they really want to do a big kindness to, they should really try it.
1: Yeah, they should. And Sean, this is where I I got to bring you in, and and uh, Mom and I are both scratching our heads, saying, you know, Mom, Mom and Dad have been in the horse business their whole lives. I mean, Dad likes to joke that he didn't get in the horse business until he was about three or four <laughs> 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 fooling around before then uh, but they've been in the horse business their whole life what is it about the Omega fields product he believes in in natural uh, you know supplements and and he's a big supplement guy himself but something's different about your product what is it
6: well first of all Pat I, I want to say thanks for the for that word of uh, encouragement I that's why I do what I do I absolutely love hearing those stories. So I, I could hear them all day long. I, I appreciate hearing yours. It's uh, it's why we do what we do. But Omega Fields uh, was built around a really um, unique and proprietary technology. Flaxseed has been known for a long time to contain rich source of omega-3 fatty acids, along with omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids in a in near-perfect balance. But historically, there was a problem using it. It's high in fat, and when it was Uh, milled into a feed product or a food product, it it would go rancid very quickly. So our company had developed a proprietary technology for stabilizing this high-fat flaxseed to make it usable, uh, give it a long shelf life in a natural uh, environment. We don't use any chemicals or additives to Mm -hmm. extend the shelf life or anything like that. It's a completely natural process. Um, I used to run the and own the milling facility that made the product, so I was really hands-on with that technology, and that's what makes our flax really different. Um, It makes it usable. It makes it nutritious over a long period of time. We guarantee an 18-month shelf life, so consumers can use it with confidence without it going rancid that, you know, would potentially harm the horse. So, quality of manufacture, every single thing in that uh, product, Omega Horseshine, is food grade. It's the same exact flaxseed I used to sell to the large major food companies, so we for make people. it food grade. That's for
1: people, people grade. For,
6: yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, household brand names like Cliff Bar and Kashi and people like that, the same exact product I would sell that I went into the Omega Horseshine, so it's made at a food grade facility with great care of product quality uh the stabilization technology makes that omega-3 uh nutrition nutritional value locked in and usable for a long period of time so we're just we're very proud of that and uh the proof is in the pudding so to speak that it it really works you'll see dramatic results like pat did in a fairly short period of time and uh we, we just absolutely love hearing those kind of stories It happens very regularly and uh we'd love to add more of your stories to it so uh you can check us out at omegafields.com um, it's just like it sounds omegafields.com and or you can call our office uh, during- I'd ours. like to
1: give him that number, and, and I'd like to say too that Cadillac was on Omega Horse Shine. If people are interested, because you'll see that there's a lot of products there too. Um, I know that you've you've sent us the nibblers, and you've got other products, but it, uh, Cadillac is uh, definitely his improvement was on the horse shine. And uh, the eight eight seven seven number, the toll free number that I have for you is eight seven seven six six three four two zero three. And uh, I, I'll repeat that eight seven seven six six three four two zero three. And what do you think, Mom? You want to put any other horses on Omegas?
4: Oh, definitely. Uh, I, in fact, I've already started another horse. Uh, actually, yesterday on the program, uh, it's a horse that wasn't in, in as bad a condition as for Cadillac was when he came in. But it's a horse that could. Uh, do, he needs a little little help. And uh, I expect a, a pretty quick turnaround uh, since we, we're not hampered by uh, you know a weight that's way less than what is uh, yeah. optimum. Okay. So yeah, okay. I, I'm looking forward Great. to it. And and I just I, I really thank you, Sean, because this this is a super product. I know I'm on Omegas myself, and I know I believe in them. Uh, but this is the first time that I've tried them with the with the horses. And uh, I am totally impressed. Thank you.
1: Chris Morris of Whispering Equus is based in the southeast of England, and he spends his time uh, training clients' horses and helping remedial horses with their issues. Mostly, he enjoys helping owners understand how and why horses behave the way they do. Welcome, Chris Morris, all the way from the southeast of England. How are you tonight?
7: I'm great. Thanks. How you, Debbie? How are everyone? Oh, everyone...
1: Hi. Everybody's been great here. It's it's uh, Christmas time around here, which is always fun. What's it, it is. Looking like? Is it is it looking like Christmas around southeast of England? It is.
7: We woke up you know, in those freezing cold and not a lot of oh. daylight. It's typical England weather in December. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. We're used to it.
1: We have seasons here too. We call them. Let's see. It's Starbucks pumpkin spice latte, and <laughs> I think we're on to uh, peppermint spice something or other. But <laughs> that sounds but, good. But it's been busy. But we wanted to have you on, Chris, because we're remiss. It's been a while that you've been training with uh, Monty and horses, and there are so many interesting things that you're doing and representing in England, and I wanted the listeners to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, and, and I know that you didn't start you lived around horses, but you didn't really start with horses. And I'd love listeners to know a little bit about how your your um, career with horses didn't start. <laughs>
7: it didn't start. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up um, around horses or anything like that, but um, we had farms around us and I remember horses being in the fields. And I remember kind of just spending, you know, many hours when I probably should have been doing high school homework and things, just watching <laughs> out the window and seeing how they behaved and Sneaking off into the field and annoying the farmers and playing with their horses, <laughs> and just kind of getting to know horses that way. And I didn't really go down the formal route. I had a few lessons which um, I I hated the second I got there, going for the more traditional lessons. And there was this the, the way the horses behaved at these lessons. There was this huge disconnect for me of what I was sitting on top of in these lessons and what i was used to seeing kind of out of my bedroom window and on walks with my parents you know with my family and everything else and it was just mm-hmm. kind of i don't understand how you can have a you know an animal that looks like it's having fun and great to be around and it's and you go to pay for lessons or my parents were paying for the lessons and not enjoying it and you know not getting anything any feedback from this horse and so i decided that maybe the kind of traditional horse world wasn't for me and i kind mm-hmm. of life got in the way and um but there was still something in the back of my head Kind of nagging at me going no I want to spend my you know my life working with horses um so I actually one of my friends actually got me um, Monty's book um, on shy boy and I started reading it and it kind of reminded me of how I used to feel sometimes kind of looking at the horses out of yeah. my bedroom window so I kind of got into it the route that way and started studying Monty's methods and doing the courses and it, it gradually went from there really.
1: So you enjoy the groundwork. You enjoyed the, the psychology of the horse. The psychology
7: the of it and learning how to, you know, why why these great big mag- magnificent animals kind of behave the way they do. You know, I don't mm. even though I remember being at a show when I was a child and um, uh, someone threw a firecracker into an arena full of horses. And obviously... Mm. Uh, the horses absolutely bolted. And I remember one of these horses just absolutely bolting through the audience and knocking people flying. And, you know, everyone knows horses can behave that way, but it's why do they behave that way? What is it about them? That, that's what interested me, and that's how I got into it and why I started studying Monty's methods, really. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of went from there and snowballed into, you know, five years of training, and then Monty made me an instructor in 2012.
1: 2012. So a five-year jaunt in that. And and did you um, – that's been your career now. Your training.
7: Uh, yeah, I'm training. Career. Yeah, I'm yeah. training. I'm um, training horses. Um, got, I've got my own horses and spend my days going off. And I, I enjoy working the, the so-called problem horses and just helping, you know, owners out and helping owners understand why they've got a problem. Um, and it's quite amazing to me how a lot of people and a lot of owners put up with certain issues, thinking yeah. that's the way a normal horse behaves, because every, every other horse on the yard has its own thing. You know, one, one you can't, you know, one, one you can't um, give it a bath or whatever, one this one you, you have to kind of mount whilst... Mm-hmm. Um, you're trotting alongside because it won't stand still. <laughs> there you, walk, you see things like you walk onto all these livery yards, and there, you know, there's a pro- each horse has got a problem, and people. I think people become used to little issues or sometimes big issues being um, being the norm, and that's how a horse should behave. And a horse that's nervous a lot of the time. I see a lot of nerve work with a lot of nervous horses and horses that are so highly strung, mm-hmm. and I think people have learned to put up with it almost and kind of you know that's the way a horse is when it isn't
1: yeah so I think I picture you like the horse psychologist uh helping it's actually not for the horses it's people psychologists for the people
7: it is a lot of people psychologists at the end of the day most owners and most of my clients they want to get on better with their horses yeah and if if by doing that the majority of behaviors that get labeled problem horses, you know, problem behaviors and a lot of the issues that I see, when you kind of strip it all down of what that horse is actually doing, that horse has been inadvertently taught that that's the right behavior to do. It's the right behavior to kind of scoot, you know shoot backwards off a ramp for a trailer it's the right behavior to um, kind of as you swing your leg over their back to just trot off they've inadvertently been taught that that's the right thing to do and a lot of the big issues people think horses are being difficult or this one does this or this one does that where as far as the horse is concerned it's doing the right thing I and see. it's about finding a way of connecting with the owner <laughs> and mm-hmm. and explaining to them that hey, maybe if you tried this, this and this or can you see if I do this the horse behaves like this and they, okay. they, in the end they, they have this big light bulb moment that goes off and they go, oh, okay, maybe some of it was the training that I've done or someone else has
1: done. Right. So I'm reminded of uh, a uni lesson. at Equus Online University, that's actually one of our sponsors here, but they, there is a series of lessons that you have in there called the Dually Dance, uh, yeah. which is referring to the halter. And you, say, you talk about that very issue about if you step into the horse as if you're going toward him in order to back him up, But Mm -hmm. then on another time, you step into him because you're just going to go brush him or something. If you do it in the same manner, it's a confusing message. Um, Talk to me a little bit about how you keep that clarity.
7: Uh, Well, I mean, uh, you hear, I I often talk to my students and my clients about rules and consistencies and boundaries. And you come out with a sentence like that and, you know, people think it's, oh, it's going to be boring and all all, all the rest of it. But it's the the most fundamental thing you can teach your horse and be absolutely clear and consistent with with what you are training and teaching them. And it's your job to make sure they understand what you want. Um, so you, you mentioned the example of when you step into your horse to back him up, Mm -hmm. a lot of people will make the same movement when they're approaching their horse with a saddle or going in, like you say, with a, you know, to brush them and the horse takes the two or three steps backwards. And it, you know, it doesn't know that in that situation, you, it's, better for, it's easier for us for him to stand still because mm-hmm. we want to get a saddle on, we want to brush him. Mm-hmm. But your, your body is making the same movement. You just spent five, ten minutes telling that horse, when I step into you this way, the right. correct movement is for you to back away from me. So don't be surprised if when you, have, you, know, you decide to pick up a saddle and you make that same movement, as far as the horse is concerned, your body is asking him the same thing. So don't be surprised. If he takes those two or three steps backwards and it's not the horses fault if you yeah. think that's the mistake it's up to you to figure out hey what am I doing with my body mm-hmm. to get these step backwards oh I have just taught him you know square shoulders walking into his space means step backwards so mm-hmm. it's only a slight change from you turn yourself sideways and kind of almost side or sidestep into him and he will stand still because it's a different cue from your body.
1: I see. So you've turned your body uh, not shoulder square. You've turned at a 45, or sorry, even a 90 even.
7: Yeah, I mean, a lot of horses, very, very sensitive horses. You don't have to make a big, dramatic, you know, sidestep into them. Um, But a lot of horses, very nervous horses, you you know, you have to be really... If you've taught them that sh- your shoulders square to them is, hey, get out of my space, I'm owning this space, I'd like you to step backwards. Mm-hmm. The opposite of that is you've got, somehow got to find a way of presenting a softer side to, of your body that yeah. doesn't get them to move backwards. So I'm you know, a fairly big guy who's got quite broad shoulders, so I have to make, with a lot of horses, a very dramatic Turn and almost, you know, uh, ninety degrees and sidestep into them to make it my softest side possible. I don't want you in this instant to take those steps backwards.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that's a great tip. That's a great tip. So, it, and it also tells me that's probably the, the tip of the iceberg in that there's a lot of things that we probably do with our body that um, we we need to become more aware of. Um, yeah, which is great. I
7: mean the, the other example that I can think of is that I see a lot over here are you know problems with loading horses onto trailers. And mm-hmm. you see people standing at the top of the, the, the trailer ramp or the lorry ramp um, and sh- you know, their body is square onto their horse and they're pulling, usually pulling the horse forward, you know, get in this trailer.
6: Mm-hmm. But
7: what are you presenting with your body? You're presenting quite an upright, not an aggressive, but a, a very upright, broad frame of your body and your horse is going to stop. So you you kind of teach your horse to kind of the correct move when I pull you is to stop with just two front feet on the ramp and don't move because your uh. body is <laughs> saying don't move. You might be pulling them, but that's when you get into the problem of the horse. Well, if if you don't want me forward, I'll I'll try backwards. And very quickly you can inadvertently teach your horse to you know shoot backwards out of a out of a, down the ramp. And at the same time you may let go of the rope so you release the pressure on the rope. And we all know about the release of pressure uh-huh. being a reward. It's a
1: reward, yeah.
7: So uh-huh. you just taught your horse, you, you, the correct move is two, free, two front feet on the ramp. I'm going to keep the pressure. So the horse goes on. Oh, my next move is I'll just scoot backwards down the ramp very quickly. So and follow. Falling... Very... Yeah, go Sorry. ahead. So you can very quickly teach your horses the wrong thing to do.
1: Mm -hmm. So following your logic, then, I'm thinking now we need to go soft with those shoulders or at an angle or averting the eyes so that we're not looking...
7: Yeah, not looking directly in their eyes. And I tend to, when I'm loading horses, you know, you, you need to obviously, you're not going to turn your back on them. People Because I say go softer, people take their eyes off of them. Uh, yeah. so I tend to look down at their knees or, you know, the chest muscles in particular, because even if you get, your job is to reward the slightest movement and you're all you're asking them to do is move their feet forward. So even just the slightest thought of I'm going to move my feet, so the slightest twitch of that chest muscle to give you the clue of, I'm thinking about moving my leg, and you can kind of reward you can reward that that's your once you get that connection of yes I want you to I want you to move forward, I want you to think about moving your leg and very quickly you will get to the lift of the leg forward, and you can do a big reward for that, so you're trying to teach the horse the correct move is forward, so you have to think about you know eyes down nice and soft, but you're always watching them to kind of pick your point. That you're giving them the release of pressure, slight release of pressure, to give them that reward, and it makes your life a hell a lot easier.
1: (laughs) It is a hell of a lot easier. That's true. That's true. And and they are that sensitive, aren't they?
7: They are definitely. Um, We have a, if we we have a rescue horse um, called Fox, who's a six year old, who's the most nervous horse I have ever ever worked with um, in my entire career, and Mm -hmm. he has taught me patience and the ability Mm -hmm. to read him like no other horse has. He's, he's obviously gone through something very, very terrible, and when we got him his trust, he, he does not trust anyone at all. His, he was making his own decisions, the slightest horse I've ever known. And we got him because he was 30 minutes away from being shot, um, and the owner phoned us up and said, if you don't come and get him, he's going to be shot because he wow. is so unpredictable and dangerous and everything else. And I'd seen him maybe six months before, and he'd gone even downhill within six months. He was Yikes. so, and it's just uh, an example of a horse where the lessons have not been clear. And he's 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 six years old, so he's obviously put up with a lot. And a lot of horses will put up with kind of knowing the basics, but they're still a little bit unsure. And something's happened within the two years before we got him, where his brain has just exploded, and he's just you know it's too much he's been pushed too far too fast and too young and he the result is a horse that is unbelievably untrust. he he will not trust people he Mm -hmm. finds it very very difficult and you have to work at it and we got him to our place and we just decided to kind of turn him out because I think we we could all see that he needed a rest from people Mm -hmm. and some of the things that people had done to him and with me just not even, you know, people People think you have to have big sessions with these horses but just you in the field next door kind of just doing advance and retreat, giving him the clue of, hey, if you let me take a step towards you without you running away I will go away and do something else and you can use your other horses that are more trusting and very trusting of you ah, yeah. and he would stand there and watch, you know mm-hmm. watch me ride my horse and I would purposely ride my horse Near him, well, not near, near, so he could see, and he Mm -hmm. would always be intently watching what we were doing with the other horses. And gradually, it took two months for Mm -hmm. I could. He would even let me come up and even touch him on the nose. Mm -hmm. And
6: it's
7: yeah, (laughs) and and and, but once he made that kind of connection, once there was that connection, and nothing Mm -hmm. bad happened. I didn't beat him or grab him or rope him or anything. The progression started to come faster and faster and it was only two weeks after that that he let me put a head collar on him
1: oh look at that yeah
7: so he does he does surprise you but what he does is in the beginning for your mistakes he makes you pay if you got it if i got it slightly wrong i put too much pressure on or if i you know if i dropped a head collar and it made a bit of a clink noise he would run off and he wouldn't let you near him for three days Mm. so he he has taught me patience, <laughs> like um, <laughs> no other horse. But since we've had him now 18 months, and um, oh. it was five weeks ago, I bellied over him and the start of um, getting him riding again. So and how did he, it, how did it go? He, he ran looked- fine. He you know he took took my weight and he unlocked his feet and he was okay. He's still you know he's still got it in him. He's still got the memories he's got but we're getting there. We're undoing it. And um, what is nice is over the last maybe six or seven months, his personality has come out. Now that he's uh, kind of trusting okay. us, he's turned from this very nervous horse who wouldn't let you near him to one that's, you know, cheeky and playing and demanding no. his food. And, do, And he, you know, he play, when we work with the other horses, he's out and he comes out. We kind of pony him alongside us, but he mm-hmm. comes out so he can see the world and all the rest of it. So, But he does, he is, an interesting example of what an extreme, you know, extreme bad training and not reading your horse can, this horse just lives off adrenaline and it's Mm -hmm. taken a long time to get him to behave like a normal horse, but he's, he's great.
1: Sometimes those sensitive ones are the most intelligent ones. They just are so done with people.
7: They are. I mean, you know, he'd know how to, if you ever, if you kind of approached him, he would know how to hide behind this and hide behind that. Mm -hmm. He'd know all the angles that, You could not get to him, (laughs) (laughs) or it'd be very, very difficult to get to him. And but you know we used you know he we used our other horses a lot. We had an older horse at the time, twenty-year-old horse, who had seen it all and done it all. And she kind of took you know she kind of took him on herself and was. She used to get angry at him. You know if we were trying to you know halter them to lead them to another pasture or get them back to the barn, if he ran off, she would Mm -hmm. go and kind of round him up. (laughs) <laughs> you will stand at the gate and you will let these people put because I am going to go and get my hay. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. So he kind of got a lot. We, uh, You know, we that's well, that's the good thing about having um, confident uh, and a stable kind of mini herd that we had at the time to allow you to kind of work with these kind of horses because they, they can teach each other more than we can for in mm-hmm. in an instant. So we used our horses and helped, helped him out that way as well.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. So I know that you can never get complete trust from Fox. He will probably have some flashes and everything, but what's your long-term hope for him?
7: My long-term hope for him is um, we want him to be happy, you know, be happy and also just to be a normal horse and to see him playing around this year without, you know, with a couple of the youngsters and just being a normal horse and letting us go up to him and, you know, do the things that you do to a normal horse and it not be this big deal um, was great for us. But my hope for him is that, um, one day where he is going to be rideable, it, it, it's not just his emotional side of it as well, that whatever happened to him, he had a bit of a bad injury on his pelvis as well, mm-hmm. So, you, you, which is fixed, but we're kind of easing him in and just mm-hmm. doing a lot of groundwork with him. And it's the groundwork that is the key, because I don't... I, I'm Not that I would be brave enough to get on him first anyway, but I'd belly over him, fine, but there's, I know what he's like. And because I don't... There's that split second of... When you swing your leg over, mm-hmm. I know that I'm not going to be a good enough rider to sit it if he does decide to do something
5: mm-hmm.
7: crazy. So I am building him up with the groundwork and, um, and the rider that I have, she will come over and she does groundwork with him too. So he, the trust is there. So yeah. any, the time that she gets on, I'm going to be on the ground and we're going to treat it like, hey, we're doing groundwork, but we're dealing with you know the weight on your back. Mm-hmm. And we're going to deal with it like a groundwork session. Um, yeah. rather than the kind of person that does a lot of groundwork then suddenly getting on the horse mm-hmm. and disappearing from view almost and the horse is kind of left going oh, okay I was okay with you down on the ground um, but in the, in the saddle I'm not really quite sure um, and I think people miss out a lot of the groundwork stuff because it's, it's your chance to read your horse and get yeah. to know your horse and it makes you more comfortable when you're working your horse that you can kind of guess how your horse is going to react and when you eventually get on them you can feel the same thing underneath you so you can kind of have a guess it helps your confidence and if your adrenaline is low and your confidence in situations is good the ride will probably go better so I think people miss out a lot of the groundwork and too much groundwork
1: yeah incremental I love that that's really good uh, and I know that you're not only passionate about horses, which I can hear that through Fox and, and your, your <laughs> career now, but you've also um, began training with Monty on horse sense and healing. Uh, do you enjoy that work as
5: well?
7: Yes, I love that work. I was lucky enough that when I was at um, Flag for my instructor internship, there were two horse sense and healing um, workshops on that I got to participate in, which was um, it was just amazing to be a part of. Um, and then, as an in, once Monty made me an instructor, um, I met Monty over here, and we did an event over here at Tedworth House, which is one of That's the recovery right. centres over here, um, because we're looking to explore ways of kind of running the same kind of clinics over here.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, and we're still in the the early stages of it, um, but we, you know, I love doing them and seeing the seeing the change that you, you see in the people that attend these clinics i just think it's, it's just fantastic and to show these people who come and anyone else that comes along that the trust you get from these horses and the trust that they are willing to show you when you communicate with them in a language they understand and it's mm-hmm. not about fear and it's not about pain how quickly that trust can help people that come to the horse sense and healing clinics mm-hmm. is it, is fantastic to be a part of
1: Oh, very nice, nicely said too. Thank you. I, I think we'll have to have you back to hear some uh, specifics about some of the people I know whose lives have been touched by you and the horses over there. I really be appreciate be your work on that. Yeah, yeah? thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us today. I know it's late there uh, in the <laughs> evening, and I appreciate appreciate that you took time out for us. And it was fun to have you for your first time on Horsemanship Radio. I hope you come back.
7: Yeah, definitely. It was great to be, great to talk to you and great to, and great to be there.
1: Okay, hi to everybody over there in UK. Thanks, Chris Morris.
3: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at montyroberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University, you can transform your horse, too.
1: Lindsay White gives us our trainer's tip this week.
5: Welcome back, Lindsay White. Thanks for agreeing to come on with your trainer's tip for us today. What do you have up your sleeve?
8: Well, I would like to share with you some thoughts um, that are 10 important messages with regards to safety that riders should remember on a daily basis. Perfect.
5: Perfect. There you uh, go. So
8: firstly, uh, if you have a hard impact blow while wearing your helmet, you've got to definitely think about replacing it with a new one. Um, okay. You can't always tell, unfortunately, when there's damage to the helmet, and it may not be visible to the naked eye. And if you consequently continue to wear that helmet, and it did have an internal crack in it, and then you fall off again, you can be in really big trouble uh, if you land on your head because it will not provide the same level of protection that a new helmet would. So you really need to put replacing the helmet um, above, uh, you know, not, simply because it's a lot easier to replace a helmet than it is to have a traumatic brain injury.
5: Okay, good. Wouldn't have done that.
8: Right. Then something else to think about. um, Helmet manufacturers uh, generally recommend replacing your helmet every four to five years. Uh, not only because helmets take a beating from, you know, the elements, sweat, heat, dust, rain, etc., yeah. uh, but most people don't realise that the styrofoam in the helmet relinquishes its protection, to, uh, ability to protect the head over time, and it actually can degrade.
5: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, so you you really should, at the very least, replace your helmet every four to five years now. That being said, if you wear your helmet, you know, every single day, it may re- need replacing sooner. And you'll pretty much know because you'll see, start to see, you know, the the, the thickness of the, the liner, um, mm-hmm. you know, deteriorate. So it may very well be that you have to replace it before that, but at a minimum every four to five years.
5: Okay. All right. That does make sense. You do kind of see that styrofoam yeah. get get kind of um, squishy. Yeah.
8: Um, Another one is thinking about the hairstyle that you have when you ride Um, because if you normally wear your hair in a ponytail, that can actually affect the fit of your helmet. So when you try on a helmet, it's very, very important Mm -hmm. to wear your hair in the style that you would when you're riding and not many people realize that one or or pay attention to that one. You can't go into a tack shop and buy a new helmet with your hair down but then when you ride, you always wear it in a ponytail because that will just uh, affect the fit. So you should always does, always, huh? yeah? yep, always try it on with the, the hairstyle that you would have.
5: Okay. So bald guys got okay. it made. They don't have to worry about anything. All right.
8: That's right. <laughs> um, if you purchase your helmet online, don't forget to check the date of manufacture. Um, that being said, purchasing a used helmet can be incredibly risky, and we never yeah. recommend that. Um, For the reason, you know, the helmet may have had damage that you just cannot see and sustained previous damage that's not visible. So um, you do need to always buy a new helmet, but just check the date of manufacture to make sure it's not an old helmet to begin with. Okay. Um, There's no statistical correlation between skill level and injury likelihood. Um, Mm. As Courtney King-Dye would tell you as being an Olympian, uh, yeah. Professional riders are just as likely to sustain an injury um, due to a fall as less frequent riders. So mm. it's it's not about how how skilled you are as a rider.
5: Very good. Yeah, it's
8: true. Um, even a fall from a standing horse can be catastrophic. Um, injury risk depends on the height from which you fall, as well as the speed at which you're travelling. Mm-hmm. So you know there is there are examples where people have been at a walk, um, they've sustained serious damage. Obviously, that risk increases with the speed and and mm-hmm. the the size of the horse, but you can have an accident as well. And it's important to wear safety gear, um, even if you're just walking around a ring, because it can it can happen to you at any time.
5: Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh,
8: head injuries are. Cumulative. An original head injury can be w- made much worse by additional concussions. And there's something called second impact syndrome. Mm-hmm. And you should never, ever get back on a horse until you've been cleared to ride by a doctor or an expert, uh, usually a neurosurgeon or neurologist, mm-hmm. uh, because what they don't want to happen is you're still suffering, your brain's still suffering the effects of the first concussion. And then you have, mm-hmm. unfortunate enough to have another fall, and that can literally finish you off. It can be, it can be a killer, literally kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, very important not to get back in the saddle until you've been cleared to ride.
5: Makes good sense. So even, even if you're wearing a helmet, but if you're not cleared, yeah. don't do it. Yeah, okay.
8: Uh, riding's more dangerous than downhill skiing and motorcycling. Actually, out really? of all of the, yeah, out of all of the recreational sports, uh, riding is actually the one where you are most likely to suffer a head injury. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you can obviously greatly lessen your risk by wearing a helmet, by when you're jumping, by wearing things, something like a body protector or, or vest, you know, so taking sensible precautions mm-hmm. and reducing your risk by doing things. Um, you know, to to make yourself safe, self-safer when you ride.
5: Right, yeah. Good. Uh,
8: around 20% of all accidents which result in head injuries happen while the person's on the ground. Um, oh. So, you know, you can get kicked in the head, obviously, when you're picking out your horse's back feet. You can go into a field and the horses can suddenly be spooked by something and, you know, trample you, so... Uh, a lot of people take the precaution that, you know, once they get in the barn, they've got a helmet on the head, especially with children. I think that's very, very right. important where they can walk behind horses that are m- 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 maybe a bit green and would be tendent to kick. Mm-hmm. Um, quite important, especially for a child going out in a paddock, to have them wear a helmet when they're catching a horse or a pony. Um, and any time, you know, they're around them where they can have that ha- helmet on their head, it's, it's a really good idea to do that's it.
5: That's a great tip. Yeah, that's so true. So true.
8: Um, it's best if you invest in your own helmet whether or not you you own a horse now that being said we appreciate there'll be people out there that perhaps have riding stables or training and they do provide the kids with helmets because they can't afford their own and obviously that's better than not wearing a helmet Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day your helmet is designed to fit your head Mm
5: -hmm. and an
8: incorrectly fitting helmet actually offers very little to no protection it's also very very important as well as having a correctly fitting helmet you must have the harness properly fastened
5: mm-hmm. or the chin
8: strap if mm-hmm. it's not snug the helmet can rotate if you have a fall and actually not protect your head to its fullest intention um so right. it's really important don't just put the helmet on your head and think great you know good enough you no know. yeah. Yeah, yeah you it's really really important that that harness so if
5: you, you if you're correctly. off to a dude ranch, maybe you can bring your own if you've ha- if you have yeah. your own because it's already adjusted yeah good
8: absolutely, so if you're going riding somewhere take take your helmet your own helmet with you. It's far better to wear your own than borrowing someone if you have the uh you know if you do have your own helmet
5: mhm good okay,
8: yeah so that's pretty much yeah. just you're um,
5: good everyday, yeah those yeah, are great tips. tips. Yeah, good good on you. We got the right person for that job. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Lindsay White, for your trainer's tip this week.
6: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here?
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in... In Solvang, they're going to have this February 14th, Valentine's Day, Night of Inspiration at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. There's going to be a Monty demo of Join Up and a barbecue, and they're fantastic. March 14th, he'll be in Arizona on tour. And then in England, March 24, 26, and 28, he's going to be
2: all over the place. Yeah, that's Monty all over the place. Over you can, the place. You can find more at www. MontyRoberts.com or you can call 805-688-6288 and speak with a real honest to goodness pleasant human being who will give you all the information you need and now let's hear from one of our latest sponsors
0: Coragem animal products Monty Roberts has been using and talking about Coregem for four years now. Coregem is one of the leading suppliers of Brazilian killer bee propolis, both in liquid and cream. As horse owners, we want a topical product that provides superior results for girth itch, saddle irritation, rain rot, and all fungal issues, even scratches and ringworm. Coregem does it all. We also want a product that heals wounds fast and minimizes the appearance of scars, Coragem does that too. And we want it to regrow hair in affected area and reduce skin inflammation, and Coragem does that. Plus, it contains no steroids, antibiotics, or chloride. It is non-toxic. It's even safe when your horses lick it, and we know they will. Used and recommended by veterinarians, breeders, and trainers from all over. Get Coragem today at CoragemAnimals.com. That's C O R I. GEManimals.com N 2015 that stands for Horse Radio Network HRN 2015 and get 10% off your next order just because you're a listener to this show. That's HRN 2015 at coragemanimals.com
2: For details about today's show, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about today's guests. And we'd love to hear your feedback. So please follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Monty Roberts. And you can also follow Monty on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. Good job. You do that well. And how do they get to the app, Jen? How does... All you need to do is whip out your smartphone, iPhone, or Android, go to your app store, and if you type in the words Horse Radio Network, it will come up, and it's quick, and it's free, and it's easy. So if it asks you to give you a credit card number, you got the wrong spot. It's Uh a free application, and it has every single one of the Horse Radio Network shows on it, including horsemanship radio. Great, thanks. Yeah, it's really easy that way. I just
1: hit that little app button. That's good. And many thanks to our sponsors. Couldn't do it without you guys. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on Horse Radio Network, too, at www.horseradionetwork.com. But until next time, have many happy horse hours.